Hump day here. Uh, that is the worst opening ever. <laughs> yeah, we can't do that. It is Wednesday here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield in the house to talk a little bit of college football today. College football season kicks off. What is it? The the twenty sixth mark. I think we're I think the twenty seventh. Is it the twenty seventh game with Hawaii and Cow down in uh, Sydney with our our good ITP zone? Justin Twelve is going to be down there. Justin on Twelve. Site. Yeah, he's going to be periscoping from uh, both the pre and post game festivities there. So we've got that coming up in a little bit. But we got a little bit of football to talk about today in today's show is brought to you by Crossover Football, giving coaches the ability to break down game film to pull stats, searchable clips, tendency reports, and much more from both desktop and mobile solutions. To try one game for free, sign up for a demo at crossover.com slash pylon. That's crossover with a K dot com slash pylon, and you get one free breakdown today. Mark, what are we talking about? I know that you are in SEC heaven right now. What are we doing? I am in SEC heaven. I think we're going to talk a little Kentucky and a little Auburn today, um, kicking it off with the Kentucky Wildcats, I guess. Are we talking Kentucky basketball? We're actually talking Kentucky football, if you can believe it. Is I think the last time that I remember actually talking about Kentucky football in a serious manner, was it Jared Lorenzen who was the big quarterback from there? The big blue battleship? Yeah, was that, that was, he yep. went to Kentucky, right? He went to Kentucky. And then he got to wear that horrific lime green uniform in the arena league yeah, I think. he's playing like arena two it was like that lime green with the yeah. red trim or something like that not not the best look no it really wasn't good but you actually found some interesting wrinkles in kentucky's uh offense and i'm curious to see uh what you want to focus on yeah well i mean i taking a look at kentucky obviously this is a team they haven't been to a bowl game since 2010 um this is mark stoops uh fourth year um, started two and ten back in 2013, back to back five and seven seasons, but they were they're kind of on the cusp of getting to a bowl game. When you when you look at this team, particularly their offense, they get you could almost say ten starters back on offense. I mean, they get four members of their offensive line that started are coming back. The fifth guy, uh, Cole Miser, who's their left tackle, saw significant action action for them. They're running back, tight end. All three wide receivers are all returning. And then at the quarterback position, Drew Drew Barker saw starts for them last year. They began the season with Patrick Tolles as their quarterback. He's now in Boston College playing for Harambe, the, the gorilla that was killed in Cincinnati. He literally dedicated his season to the gorilla, which is kind of an amazing story. But Drew Barker stepped in, started some games for them. So you could almost say that this is a team that's got nine dedicated starters coming back and two other guys that started games for them. So this is going to be a somewhat experienced offense. But what I did was I looked at the things that were kind of effective for them up front, given the guys that are coming back. And one of the things I highlighted was sort of how they block zone. Talk to me a little bit about uh, what they do specifically, blocking zone, that, that makes this you know an interesting offense to look at. Well, what I did was John Schaumann, who's their offensive line coach, gave a presentation to the Nike Coaches Clinic. You know, I've been talking about these a lot because they're great resources. I went through his presentation on how to block inside zone. He had a number of good pointers, I think, for coaches at all levels um, that they should digest and incorporate into what they're doing on offense. And one of the things that he highlighted that I hadn't really, really truly thought of until 
doing this piece and doing the film work for it was the communication that takes place up front. You know, I highlight a couple of plays against Louisville and I took a little bit of stick on Twitter uh, from Louisville fans trying to think that, you know, I was kind of trashing Louisville even though the Cardinals won that game. And that's true. The piece wasn't an analysis of that game. It was just some of the things that worked for Kentucky from time to time last year. And one was inside zone and the different ways they block it. And with respect to the communication that happens, it starts with the center. He'll come up to the line of scrimmage and sees who he has lined up across from him. He might have a one shade to his left or a one shade to his right, meaning somebody sort of on his shoulder in the A gap. So if they've got a zone play called to his left, typically zone play, you think everybody's going to block to the left. Yep. Well, if he's got a guy one shade to his right, he makes a right call, meaning he's going right. And that changes what everybody else does along the front. So if he has to go right, that means that the play side guard and the play side tackle, they're basically one-on-one responsibility to the other two guys on the other side of the field. And they have to handle what they're doing. They're not going to have help from the guard, I mean, from the center. So the communication that takes place up front is some of the Charmin stresses. The other thing he stressed and how they block inside zone, which I never really thought of similar to the communication stuff, but when I saw it on a play against Louisville, it made sense was if you get an outside edge blitzer, be it an outside linebacker that lines out outside and blitzes off the edge or a defensive back that rolls out and blitzes off the edge, you have to make sure that guy gets blocked. He is the biggest threat to an inside zone play. And that sounds almost counterintuitive. But in the piece, I highlight a split zone looking play where offensive line kind of flows to the right, but then you've got a tight end lined up in the wing. He blocks across the formation to the left. Typically, that guy's going to handle the unblocked defensive end. Well, they run sort of a split zone where the running back's aiming for the left side, and they Louisville blitzes a safety down in he's lined up as a cover two safety, rolls into the box, and then blitzes off the edge. And that tight end, as he comes across, he's looking for the defensive end, but he sees that blitzer, and at the last minute, takes him out. And the reason for that is, again, Showman's terrified that you get an edge blitz, a guy that's unblocked, he stops that play before it starts in the backfield. So they're very cognizant of edge blitzers when they run inside zone, and they try to make sure that those guys get blocked so the play can get going. As Showman put it in his presentation, he's like, if you're if the defense's linebackers are making tackles, you're moving the ball downfield. But if you know you've got defenders coming unblocked off the edge, you might not even get past the line of scrimmage. Is he most concerned about that outside blitzer coming in and stopping the play for a three yard loss, or more scraping down along the backside and just coming in and stopping the play for no gain? No, he's worried about it being a loss. Okay, I mean he's worried about that. He wants, to, you know, as he put it, he's like you, that that running back has to at least get to the line of scrimmage, and if you don't block that at that edge blitzer, he stops that play in the backfield. You can't even get him going. Now, that's why it's so crucial that you get that guy blocked. Now, one of the things that you mentioned uh, also that made this interesting was the communication. And I'm curious because you said, and the example I think was if it's a zone to the left and the center has a guy lined up, uh, you know, kind of on his right shoulder as a one tech, he'll, he'll essentially make a right call and leave that left side alone. Why would they do that instead of simply switching the entire flow and direction of the play over to that right side? Well, because that's a bigger move to make. Okay. I mean, if you've got to flip the entire play, um, you know, this way they can get the play blocked. They know they can get the play blocked up as long as the guys make the right calls up front and everybody 
hears the calls and makes the right calls accordingly. Because you know when that center makes that left to right call, then you know the play side tackle and the backside tackle they make calls as well to make sure everybody knows that okay that backside tackle now knows that he's one on one. That play side tackle knows that he's one on one as well. You know they make calls so everybody knows that they're on the same page. If you try to just like flip everything, it's not like playing Madden or playing you know. NCAA college football may it rest in peace where you can just hit the you know flip play button and everything just magically flips. It's a lot harder than suddenly say, oh, now we're going to run zone to the right while everybody has to change everything. Yep. And you know they know as it's drawn up, they can get the blocks done. So again, if we're going inside zone to the left side and that center lines up and you'd expect him to move to the left, you'd expect him probably to make a combo block on a three tech and then the guard moves up to the second level. Well, now if he's got a you know, sort of nose tackle, one tech in his right shoulder in that right A gap. Again, if he leaves that guy unblocked, that's a big ask for that right side, that right guard to make that block. Because if you think about it from that right guard's perspective, now he's got somebody he has to block on his left shoulder and the play is going to the left side. Yep. And if he doesn't get that guy cut off, what happens? Okay. Yep. That that play gets, you know, cut in the back down on the backfield for no gain. That's why that's why the center now has to work to the backside and all the blocks kind of flow off of that. Yeah, it make, makes sense. I was just kind of curious just uh, if it was something that was considered there. Want to do a brief announcement on behalf of our sponsor, Crossover Football. Crossover Football can help coaches win more games and make smarter use of the film room with your team. It breaks down and stats out your game film, giving you searchable clips, advanced ODK, tendency reports, and a wealth of other great information that you can access from any PC or mobile device. Your formations and your personnel packages can be labeled with your own terminology, and you can create custom highlight reels that can be exchanged with anyone on the platform, including all of your players and coaches. To try one game for free, sign up for a demo at crossover.com slash pylon. That's crossover with a K dot com slash pylon to get one breakdown for free today. Mark, we're also, uh, I know you're working on a piece regarding, is it the Auburn Tigers, I believe? It is. Uh, got something um, on Auburn and their buck sweep, which is kind of the way that that offense, I mean, Gus Malzahn has a lot of tricks up his sleeve, but one of the ways that he likes to attack the edges is with this buck sweep. Um, Auburn's a team that runs the ball inside a lot. Obviously, they've got inside zone. Um, they do some power stuff. They do counter tray. So they're attacking between the tackles a lot. One of the ways they attack the outside, obviously, fly sweep. Inside zone where the quarterback keeps it is another way. But the buck sweep is what they use to do that. And that's sort of a power blocking scheme where you get at least one, sometimes both guards, pulling to the edges in front of the play. And the rest of the offensive line and some skill position players block down. So you've got like sort of a wall of players blocking down and then one or two guards pull into the edge as well as usually their H back as well to set up a nice little convoy for that ball carrier to attack the edge and get some space on the outside. Is there any particular uh, field position or down or distance where you see this play utilized a lot by them? No, they'll, they'll run it all over the place. Um, any situation, any you know, left hash mark, right hash mark, they'll run it to the field, to the boundary. Yep. Um, they'll run it all over the place. And in terms of the uh, the, the personnel, does it, does it make any difference uh, who they're using as far as any wrinkles to this play, or is it pretty much the same play every time, or do they change things up depending on you know who's in the game on offense or defense? No, and with Gus Malzahn, you know there are going to be wrinkles to it. I mean, the basic formation for the Buck sweep is they'll go um, 20 personnel where they have uh, their tailback, 
um, their fullback or H-back, we'll call them, you know, a, a running back for this formation, and then three wide receivers. And they'll have slot to one side of the field, and they'll have a single receiver to the, to the play side, and he'll cheat down. It'll take a very extremely short split from the tackle. So it's kind of a play that you can see before it comes. And then have that H-back staggered sort of behind the play side tackle. And then that uh, receiver to that side with that short split, he'll block one of the linebackers using a crack block. Then that uh, H-back usually takes a defensive end. Play side tackle will block down, let that guard pull. Center blocks down to his left towards the backside, let the other guard pull, hopefully. And then that backside tackle executes a hinge block where basically first he'll step towards his inside gap, make sure there's no immediate penetration, and then basically wheel and open his hips towards the sideline so he can prevent any backside pursuit. That's the basic structure. Of course, Auburn and Gus Malzahn have some variations. They can do it with a bubble screen to the slot side where the quarterback will have a pre-snap RPO action where for some reason he doesn't like what he sees towards the run side on that edge and he has something on the uh, slot side of the field. Maybe you know there's a single coverage over there or they've got a nice little free access where the guy, the defensive back over the slot receiver, maybe it's just a safety over in cover two alignment so they've got a little bit of a cushion there. He'll just throw the bubble screen. Some even bigger wrinkles, they like to do it using unbalanced formation in a jumble package where they'll bring a defensive tackle in, make him the backside tackle, move their usual left tackle, Sean Coleman, over to the tight end on the play side and run it that way where you've got sort of jumble package buck sweep towards that side of the field. And they'll even get really crazy where they'll use it with Wildcat. They'll have a running back in to take the snap, but they'll have either a jet sweep motion or even the quarterback, they did this with Jeremy Johnson, They'll set up buck sweep using that guy in motion, and the now Wildcat quarterback has the option of either giving it on the buck sweep to the motion man or taking it inside. And even saw last year they put their reserve quarterback in at running back, gave him the ball on the buck sweep, and let him throw it. So this really does, and you mentioned I think there are at least four or five different variations uh, that they can run off this. And obviously, depending on game time, situation, whether you know Auburn is up in a tight game, uh, you know down, whatever it may be, they can really tweak this based on the specific needs. So it's not just one play. There is a ton they can run off this. There's a ton that they can run off, and that's kind of... Kind of know, what Gus they do with Zahn. anything, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Gus Malzahn is a, a brilliant offensive mind, and you know, you're talking about like a basic play, and I even mentioned that you know that receiver that shows you that reduced split, it's a pre-snap indicator that they're running buck sweep, but Malzahn doesn't care. Because he knows in his playbook he's got a bunch of different variations that the defense still has to be wary of. So even if they see everything pre-snap that's telling them buck sweep, they still have to be wary. Oh, but we can't overcommit to it because we might have that bubble screen on the backside. Or we can't overcommit to it because they might, you know, hand the ball off and let somebody throw it. Or they might show you that inside zone look where they'll show buck sweep, but the quarterback might keep it. So there's a lot of things that Melzahn can do, like with all of his plays, that he's got his way he's going to run it. But he's got variations in it that still have to keep the defense honest. Do you view Malzahn and, and what he does, not just with this play, but you know all of the different variations that he runs on a lot of his, his offense there in Auburn, do you view him as almost one of the key architects of what we're seeing in college football and even creeping into the pro game in terms of the variations and you know, the use of both pre- and post-snap RPOs? 
I think so. I mean, you know, you look at what they've been able to do with Auburn offensively. Yeah, they've had a couple of down years. They're trying to figure out the quarterback position this year. That's a big question mark for Auburn headed into the season. Who's going to be running this offense? Malzahn's got, you know, the type of quarterback that he likes, a guy that can run the ball. Um, You look at the quarterbacks that have had success for him in the past, guys that can run and throw and do a bunch of different things. I, I do think... More to your point, Mazan is definitely sort of the architect for what we're seeing, the sort of progress in offensive football philosophy where quarterbacks have options pre-snap and post-snap. They have options built into every play, options where the quarterback can you know, hand the ball off, keep it himself, press the edge, and even at the last second, he's got a receiver downfield where if he's starting to run and see somebody, he can throw it. And that's not something that a lot of teams are doing maybe four years ago, but more and more teams, like we talked about Mrs. Um, yeah, Mississippi, Ole Miss, and Chad Kelly, they're doing some similar stuff in their offense, and more and more teams are incorporating these style of plays into their scheme as well because it gives the offense so many different options where they can run one base play but have different options around it and keep the defense guessing. Mark, I really really, can, really continue to act that you are looking at the SEC here. And in fact, I've realized something interesting uh, as you were uh, going through that last uh, description there. Do you want to hear what it was? What's that? You can't spell Schofield without SEC. Ooh, there's a there's a tagline. That's our Super Bowl ad right there, man. I, I'm just saying, man, you cannot spell Schofield without SEC. Ooh, that's some Don Draper stuff right there. That is that is the carousel of college football. So it really is. You know what that means? I think it's what were they oysters Rockefeller. What are they doing? It's martini <laughs> yeah. time with some oysters, Rockefeller. Might as well, you know, bring them out. You know, get, make sure you got enough for everyone. I'm gonna call it a day right there, like George Costanza. We go out on top uh, for the ITP Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield. Do make sure uh, that you subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. We'll be back here tomorrow with more football on the ITP Quick Kicks podcast.